You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked on Vikings. I am your host, your pal, and the kitty copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. And hey, this season, you can get football on your time with NFL Game Pass. See all the action from every game with full game replays. You can also replay an entire game and catch all the plays in just 45 minutes with condensed games. Go to NFL.com slash Game Pass to start your free trial today. NFL Game Pass, where football never stops. And today is our kind of preview Friday, our little tradition where now we get to go real deep into the opponent for the weekend. The Vikings are going into Seattle on Sunday night to play the Seahawks. Here's where the injury report stands as of the Thursday report. The Vikings have three players who did not participate in Thursday's practice. Eric Kendricks with a foot injury hasn't practiced for two days. Same with KJ Osborne, who's dealing with a hamstring injury. And Holton Hill, with a foot injury of his own, was limited on Wednesday and was downgraded on Thursday to a DNP as well. So that's going to mean a whole bunch of things for the depth and and the roster. For Eric Kendricks, whoever comes in for him is actually a little bit up in the air. Of course, Eric Wilson has gotten the most reps in relief of Anthony Barr, but now with Eric Kendricks out as well, it's going to be interesting to see who they actually trot out there. For the most part, I believe they've gotten uh, more snaps to Hardy Nickerson than anybody else. Ryan Connolly has been part of the rotation, although he had a few pretty rough snaps in the time that he played, and so he is not as likely to get into the rotation as much. Uh, You also have Todd Davis, who played a little bit on Sunday. He signed right before the week three game against Tennessee, but wasn't really ready to go yet. Um, He's gotten a little bit into the rotation against the Texans, and so we'll see if he gets a little bit more this time. Or it could be Hardy Nickerson, who's played plenty and who's been with the team since camp. He was signed in the middle of camp, Uh, so he probably knows the calls better than some other players who joined after he did. However, he uh, hasn't played very well, and so you have to imagine there's a little bit of potential to get a little bit better than he is as long as guys knows, know the call, and, and depending on how well they know the defense is going to kind of determine who plays and who doesn't. There's also guys like Blake Lynch and Jordan Fair, uh, two undrafted rookies who are currently on the practice squad who might even be able to get themselves into a little bit of the rotation if they're activated from the practice squad. That's something they could also do for like additional depth, but it's probably unlikely. I would say the more likely option is that Hardy Nickerson, Ryan Connolly, or Todd Davis get kind of the nod, and it's most likely going to be a rotation with all of them and maybe even bringing Eric Wilson on and off the field depending on the situation because Eric Wilson is so specialized as a a better pass defender than a run defender. With KJ Osborne, we've seen him be inactive before. He was a healthy scratch in week two and Amir Abdullah took the kicks. He will probably take the the kicks and that's kind of rough because Amir Abdullah has a bit of a fumbling issue and he also just doesn't take as many out because he, uh, I mean, he he will kneel things and touch back things, whereas KJ Osborne would try it because KJ Osborne's a lot more dynamic. That was actually working out pretty well. He actually had a decent average there. And of course, with Holton Hill out, that just leaves 
leaves the three other corners. Mike Hughes with a neck injury who's back. Uh, you have Jeff Gladney and Cameron Dantzler in the past with uh, Cameron Dantzler out. Holton Hill is on the outside. And then it was mostly Jeff Gladney on the outside and Mike Hughes in the slot. So it seems like they'll probably do that same thing with those two and then just replace Holton Hill with Cameron Dantzler, who is now pretty much back from his rib injury. So there's a lot of change that is going to be kind of difficult to track, but hopefully that is the extent of it for a while. Vikings are pretty banged up, but a lot of teams are really banged up. They actually don't rank in the top half of the, like the most injured teams just by quantity. Of course, it's tough because the players that they've lost are like Daniel Hunter and Anthony Barr and now Eric Kendricks and like all of these studs on their defense, you know, whereas other players may just be losing like backups or rotational players or whatever. And it's like particularly important who the Vikings are losing. But this is just going to kind of be the way this season is without the right conditioning program, without the right training camp and stuff. A lot of injuries have been happening all over the league and everybody is going to kind of be down to their depth. And so I think this whole season and, and probably who ends up being successful on the season is going to come down to who prepared their depth a little better. Case in point, there's plenty of injury going on with the Seahawks as well. Of course, uh, J- Jamal Adams has already been ruled out for the game, so the Vikings are going to dodge that bullet. He's an extremely disruptive box safety and actually one of the leading pressure getters. He has nine pressures on the season that ranks second on the entire Seahawks. They're also going to be missing Jordan Brooks, their first round draft pick uh, at linebacker. They also have a bunch of players who are limited, who I, I think the majority of these guys are going to play. They, they're actually really a huge question mark surrounding Quentin Dunbar, a uh, very important cornerback, because as we're going to go into, the other two cornerbacks are not playing very well, and he's already missed some time. So we're not sure if we're going to get uh, Quentin Dunbar back. Corbin Smith thought no. So, you know, for whatever that's worth, Shaquille Griffin, another cornerback dealing with a shoulder injury. He was limited in Thursday's practice. Bobby Wagner limited in Thursday's practice. Benson Mayoa, uh, their current pressure leader, limited with a groin injury. Mike Potty limited. Carlos Hyde limited. I mean, it, there is a huge, huge uh, list of injured players, and even a whole bunch of players who are full who are going to be playing like through something. KJ Wright had an illness all week. Chris Carson has a knee he's dealing with. Uh, Shaquem Griffin, who is kind of on and off their practice squad, but is definitely somebody that gets in the lineup, and he was a starter last year. Uh, Shaquem Griffin dealing with a shoulder. Their center Ethan Posick dealing with an ankle. So there's a lot of people who are banged up on that Seahawks team. And so it'll be interesting to see, you know, which of those play, especially with the the limited players, uh, you know, if you have a DNP, a lot of people say, well, hey, you know, what are the, what are the chances that maybe like Eric Hendricks gets in there? Uh, if, if you are a DNP for both Wednesday and the Thursday practice, sometimes guys rally and play on Friday, practice on Friday and then like play in the game. But that's like super uncommon. So I wouldn't put my my faith in that. And I think the same thing goes with Seahawks like Jordan. Uh, Jordan Brooks and Jamal Adams, right, who are like probably not going to be in there. So there's going to be a whole bunch of backups on this Seahawks, especially on this Seahawks defense and a whole bunch of backups on the Vikings defense. So that's why the over under for this game is 57 and a half. And it's going to be a barn burner. This game has to like it would be shocking to me if this game was a low scoring like defensive affair, which is weird for a Vikings Seahawks game. Usually feels like it's supposed to be this grindy, you know, run game style teams, you know, Pete Carroll and Mike Zimmer too, like defensive studs like it's not going to be that this time. It's going to be uh, a whole bunch of deep passing, a whole bunch of explosive plays, and it's it might even be one of those games that comes down to just like who ends up having the final opportunity and, you know, who ends up coming. If we're going to trade scores all game, it's kind of whoever gets the last one might win. And I want to spend a whole bunch of time on the deep passing on either side of the ball here, because I think there's reason to believe that both teams are going to be able to get a lot of, of big chunk plays going and both teams are going to be able to score on each other. And I kind of want to go more into 
why I think that is. But first, I want to ask you to help support your local businesses, whether they're your corner stores, your coffee spots, or your favorite shops. Local businesses have always been on your team, supporting you and your community. They remember your call... They remember your order, they call you by name, they're always giving back, making a difference, and going that extra mile. But right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support. So let's be there for them. Next time you go shopping, help your team score and choose... Next time you go shopping, help your team score and choose to shop at local businesses. And while you're there, look for the contactless symbol to tap and pay with a contactless visa to help support your community, because where and how you shop matters. Visa, everywhere you want to be, official partner of the NFL. And you know, in that spirit, this football season is going to be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch this season. Honestly, I'm excited for this game. This is going to be a, a wild barn burner of full chaos. You're going to get really frustrated with the defense. You're going to be really excited about the offense, and ultimately, it'll be an entertaining product. I'm hyped about it. And Pepsi is the refreshment that you need to power through the frustrations the Vikings will give you on game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generation talent that Pepsi fuels because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi made for football watching. Go to madeforfootballwatching.com to check out the latest football watching content from Pepsi. So let's talk about the uh, the deep passing in this one. And I guess let's start with the the, the tough thing to talk about, which is the Seahawks are going to eviscerate our corners. Oh my God, is this like a matchup tailor-made to destroy the Vikings' corners? The Vikings under Mike Zimmer have always struggled with Russell Wilson. And in fact, a Mike Zimmer-led Vikings team has never beat a Russell Wilson Seahawks team there. I think 0-4 against the Seahawks if you include the playoff games. So this is a bit of a bugaboo for Mike Zimmer. And a big part of it is because for a long time, you know, Everson Griffin was not a container and then you know he had Daniel Hunter who also would get a he was like a young pup and he would get a little overzealous and he would kind of over pursue and you'd lose that on contain and then that's when Russell Wilson can kind of do Russell Wilson-y things and like totally smoke you right um and and that was a bit of a problem I actually kind of think these Vikings have gotten a little bit bit better at that they were really good at actually containing Deshaun Watson he scrambled out a couple of times off of Miss Sacks but even that took so long that the play was on he was unable to like actually create a play out of that it wasn't like Deshaun Watson was running all the way around and, and I think I think, I mean, Aaron Rodgers didn't really have to because they didn't pressure him, so it didn't really come up there. But I think these Vikings, and, and honestly, last year too, they were a little bit better at playing contained, but the problem is going to be a different one because this is a different Seahawks team. The Seahawks teams of old would be teams that, you know, run on first and second down. They would run, run, pass, punt. They would, uh, you know, kind of slam themselves into the teeth of your defense. And if they ever did go deep, it was great, but they would always do it so seldom that you had a chance to win the game. This year, they're not really doing that. They're kind of laying the wood to people by going deep to DK Metcalf and million times and going deep to Tyler Lockett a million times and now David Moore has it and you know they can like get a deep shot out of the slot they can get a deep shot against your single high safety they can beat you one-on-one on the outside and what's interesting is that they're not really using like super complex plays to get guys open deep the Vikings are working hard to get guys open deep you know they're using smash concepts and they're using big deep overs they're doing play action bootlegs to buy a whole bunch of time because they can't block for it and everything Seahawks are just kind of telling people to go deep and use whatever move you got to use and get some separation. Russell Wilson's going to hit you. And they have the horses to do that. You know, the Texans had a very similar thing. If you remember, we talked about how they go deep and they just kind of do go balls and it was really simple and vanilla and it didn't really work out very well. Well, that's because Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller aren't exactly uh, being successful at that right now. I mean, Will Fuller's dropping a whole bunch. Brandon Cooks is not playing nearly as well as he played, but you know, in his Rams days or in his Patriots days or even in his Saints days. Um, and now you have against the Seahawks, you have DK Metcalf, who's a 
uh, just on another planet. And Tyler Lockett, who's always been very good. And now David Moore is kind of up and down and, and sometimes he shows up. So you have to worry about him. And these are guys that are really, really good at this deep go ball. And so you don't necessarily have to work very hard to get people open. And I don't know, like if you really tested that and if you really like covered deep and had really good corners, if they would have to break out, you know, more interesting, complex concepts to get guys open deep. But right now, it's just not tested and they don't have to worry about it. They have DK Metcalf, who's just killing corners left and right. I mean, went up against Xavier Howard, who is a very good cornerback and shadowed him and put up a great day of production against that. And really what I've seen from DK Metcalf is deception. And when you talk about route running, you have to talk about deception because that is really at the crux of most route running concepts. And this is not like route concepts like uh, like play designs and stuff. That's a totally different conversation. I'm just talking about like running a route, say, you know, you've got to go route and your job is to make separation. A lot of times it's not exactly, especially for like a long go ball, it's not as, as meticulously timed. So you kind of have the freedom to do what you got to do, be creative and, and try to, you know, trick the guy across from you and, and you're kind of your own artist there. You're kind of left to your own devices. And DK Metcalf has been really, really, really good at this, doing things like just a quick step in. So honestly, Justin Jefferson's been, I've talked about Justin Jefferson doing this a whole bunch too. And DK Metcalf's kind of on that same level where he's, you know, he'll he'll do like one step inside to make it look like it's a quick uh, slant or a, uh, like an intermediate post or even just an in-breaking route of any kind. And then you see the, the corner totally bite on that, totally try to jump the route and then it's a double move up, and and he just has the leeway to do that, and sometimes it's just a, a, a tiny little stutter step, just enough to cause a little bit of hesitation, kill off all of your speed, and then suddenly you're in a foot race one-on-one from the same level as, you know, DK Metcalf, and DK Metcalf's just going to be faster than you. He's this crazy athlete, and that kind of puts him in the situation to really highlight that, and he's been able to burn corners, and here's the thing. Jeff Gladney's just not good enough to keep up. I mean, and not only that, but he's—he—I thought he was a good contested catch receiver for for his size, and he always played a little bigger than like the five ten or whatever that he actually is. DK Metcalf is going to beat that. Like that is just not gonna do it. So I don't. I like you can't leave these receivers one on one with these guys. They're gonna kill you on a go ball. You have to get the safeties back to lurk, and 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 that hamstrings you a little bit. You you know if you put uh, Harrison Smith in the box to try to do some weird blitz stuff, which you almost have to do against Russell, although Russell Wilson's been phenomenal against the blitz, so maybe you don't want to do that anyways, but if you want to do that as like run support or whatever, um, then, you know, you're leaving a corner on an island and they'll know that, they'll check into a go ball and then suddenly you have Cameron Dantzler versus DK Metcalf or, or you know, all pro Tyler Lockett, or should be an all pro, I don't actually know if it was, uh, but, you know, the all world uh, Tyler Lockett and you're just going to get absolutely shredded, but the good news is that uh, it's kind of that way on the other side too. Uh, Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen should be able to feast against these corners. Okay, so Quentin Dunbar has been playing well as a good corner, uh, and and that's sure. I'll, I'll take Corbin's word for that, but it doesn't also sound very much uh, like he's going to play, which Corbin also on uh, on the crossover Thursday, which is yesterday's, yesterday's episode. So go listen to that for like a more broad strokes thing, because I'm focusing a lot on the wide receivers in the corners today. And so that that's going to be the deeper thing. And yesterday's kind of the broad strokes with Corbin. Um, and, and he said that Quentin Dunbar might not play. So then you have t- Trey Flowers and uh, Shaquille Griffin. Shaquille Griffin has had a ton of problem deep. If you watch what Michael Gallup did against these two players, they both didn't like make 
make huge mistakes. They weren't biting on things. And Michael Gallup didn't exactly employ a bunch of really deceptive techniques, but he still got some separation just based off of the mistakes that the corners are making, the linebackers and safeties and stuff. There's a like Corbin said, there's a lot of uh, communication issues because guys are in and out. And, you know, they don't have the right players. It, it, they don't have their core in all the time. You got backups coming in that don't quite have the chemistry that has been building all this time. And so you kind of lose out on that that seamless zone pass off, you know, that transitioning between like one one uh, part of the coverage to the other. And sometimes you're just in man coverage and, and you just get beat. These guys are getting beat deep. So I think you can do the exact same thing that Seahawks are going to throw at you. I think you can turn, turn it around on the other side of the ball and throw it right back at them. Send it Justin Jefferson deep on a go ball. They've gotten huge plays on that in both of the last two weeks, the one on Malcolm Butler and then uh, the one late in the game on that third down. I forget who was in. I think it was Roby in coverage. And I think you can do that with Thielen too. I think you can do that with Jefferson. And I think you can do that out of the slot as well. Even though their uh, Ugo Amadi has apparently been playing pretty well in the slot. I still think you can get, get like take advantage of that just by his size and stuff. And their zone pass offs have been really sloppy as well. So I think the, that plays really well into the Vikings hands. The other thing is that they don't have a lot of great pressure generation. They have like no pressure generation up the middle. Um, of course, you know, they have Jaron Reed, who's a good player. And I think he'll be good against the run, but pressure generation up the middle has been really hard to come by in Seattle. Their pressures come mostly off of the edges and the Vikings are offensive line is best on the edge. They don't really have uh, what, you know, you would think to do. And maybe maybe what Corbin said is they would put LJ Collier in on the inside, um, but he hasn't been a particularly productive play and they just haven't had much, much of a pass rush. So they don't have the equipment to take advantage of a, a weak offensive line like the Vikings have on the interior and vice versa. You know, we don't have the equipment to kind of take advantage of their pass rush issue because we'll probably still give up more than we should because the interior line is bad and stuff, but it's a far cry from like uh, Jeffrey Simmons or Kenny Clark just like absolutely wreaking havoc. It's going to be a much more evenly matched thing there. And and I so I think the, the the way that the Seahawks defense is constructed plays really well into the Vikings hands. So I think the Vikings will be able to score. I, I went back and forth on the spread for this one. I said yesterday on yesterday's show that I was going to take the Vikings to cover seven and a half. I'm going to stick to that, even though I'm I, after looking into it a little bit more deeply. I'm a little more tentative about this. I don't think this is going to go well for the Vikings. I would not be surprised if the Vikings gave up 40 points in this game. And, you know, if you ask Kirk Cousins to kind of keep up in that game, I think he's got the tools to do it. But to do so without any weird game breaking drive killing mistakes is, I think, a bit of a tall order. Um, the, the last thing I want to quick mention is there's this this thing about Kirk Cousins in primetime that I, is actually not that true. Um, I think I even joked about it yesterday because it's a funny meme, but like it's uh, he's actually a little bit more safe in primetime than in most situations, which kind of makes sense. You know, you're under the lights and stuff. He's actually uh, kind of it's it's a basically the idea is that it's a meaningless split. This is a PFF article that I'll link in the show notes uh, about this that was written during the playoffs last year, but it's not a very meaningful split. Like the idea that it's different, that different playing in primetime than in a regular game. You usually will get catch better opponents in primetime because, you know, you don't schedule the crappy teams for primetime. Right. Um, but it's not that meaningful or predictive of a split uh, just because it's still it's still the game. Right. It's still football. You're, you're eventually doing your same thing. It does kind of make sense that Kirk Cousins would be a little bit safer in primetime just because, you know, the lights might make you a little nervous. You might be a little more conservative, um, but it's like a little bit and it doesn't really affect his performance at all. And in fact, for the most part, he's been more efficient in primetime than on like Sunday afternoons. But that doesn't mean he's going to be like immune to the bounce 
bouts of diarrhea that sometimes befall him in in any game, primetime or otherwise, where he just kind of will fall over and fumble or throw a stupid pick six or something. Like, he's still just as prone to that as he always is. I just don't think it's especially severe in primetime versus not. But we have one more very important thing to do. We got to talk about some bold predictions. I want to follow up on the ones from last week, see if anybody got anything. And uh, and then we've got a new round of bold predictions for this week. I like these ones. You guys were a lot better about it this time. So we're going to revisit all of that coming right up. All right, let's talk about some bold predictions. So if you aren't aware, I always do this on Twitter. If you follow me on Twitter at NFL, usually at some point during Thursday Night Football, I will uh, put out a call for bold predictions. So keep an eye on Twitter during that if you want to get in on this. Uh, the first one, and, and then what we'll always do is we'll revisit last week's and then we'll talk about uh, the ones for this coming game. So last week, I asked for bold predictions. The first one came from Kyle Slaby, who said that Samia or Cleveland, whoever starts, doesn't give up a pressure. There was some stuff about Cleveland maybe maybe starting. It was Samia. He gave up two pressures, which is a decent game for him, eh? actually like in spirit you got kind of close uh jake v said mike zimmer gets fired after the vikings are blown out uh neither thing happened although the idea that the losing coach would get fired was a little bit on so i'll give you some credit there uh jonathan said if Fadi breaks the single game sack record that would have taken seven sacks i don't think he got one he did he's he's playing well though i I do like the way that he's playing. Uh, Landon Renly said that Gladney would get a pick six on the Texans opening drive and Dozier would get benched for Ezra Cleveland. Uh, the second part obviously didn't happen. Gladney did have a nice game. I liked the game that he played, even though he did uh, give up that one big long one to, I think it was Will Fuller out of the slot. Outside of that, he was uh, pretty shut down. He was pretty locked down. He, he played really well. And I think uh, these young corners are kind of starting to figure it out after being thrown into the fire. They're responding better to that than I think I would normally expect which is really encouraging. No pick six, though. Derry Murbles said that JJ would get 200 yards receiving, Dalvin would get 200 combined yards, and Kirk would throw four t- touchdowns. Didn't quite hit any of those marks, but again, in sp- you had it right. Like, JJ had another good game. Dalvin had another incredible game. I think he did get, like, 100... 30 or something like that. Uh, and, and Kirk did not get four touchdowns, but he still, uh, I thought had a, a decent game. And then Tom check would say KJ Osborne, triple, triple crown, kick return, punt return, receiving return, touchdown and quadruple crown. And he was like, screw it. Quadruple crown, get a rushing TD too. None of those things happen, but I do appreciate shooting for the moon. So let's move on to this week where we're going to start with legendary esque who DM to me. You can DM me anytime you want, uh, at Luke Braun NFL, you can DM at locked on Vikings. And uh, if you have a prediction, do that anytime you want. You don't need to wait for the tweet if you have one. He says uh, Cameron Dantzler will hold DK Metcalf to under 50 yards. That is a deeply bold prediction. I think DK Metcalf is going to absolutely light up this defense. Uh, and if if he holds, uh, if, if Dantzler holds Metcalf to under 50 yards, that would be incredible. The thing about this, so for this to count, um, I, I think you're going to have to have to see a, a decent a number of snaps against Cameron Dantzler. They might put DK Metcalf against Jeff Gladney all day. They'll probably going to play sides. I doubt that they're going to have anybody shadowed here. So it's going to be up to the Seahawks who matches up against two. And so for this to hit, I think uh, Dantzler and Metcalf have to match up enough for that to happen for him to hold him to under 50 yards. Uh, but I, I will we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Uh, we'll go next to Matt Nelson, who said over a thousand yards of offense. Now, here's the thing. This is going to have a game be a game with a ton of offense. Over a thousand yards would be like historic. So I'm counting it as a bold enough prediction, but that would be pretty intense. Uh, a whole bunch of people had something like that, where this game is going to a couple people said this game has over 60 points scored. The over under is 57 and a half, guys. You got to get way bolder than that. Somebody even just said like the final score they thought it would be, and it would be like a 32 to 37 game. It's like, that. what? That's not bold at all. That's just a, re- a regular prediction. Come on, let's get spicy. 
Uh, Noah Morris, speaking of spice, said CJ Ham has more touchdowns than Russell Wilson. I absolutely love it. Counting passing touchdowns in this as well. Um, and CJ Ham having more touchdowns. That would be incredible. If CJ Ham had like a two touchdown day and then Russell Wilson was like shut down, it was like only rushing touchdowns or something. That would be an incredible call. Um, but I kind of do like the idea of getting, uh, you know, random goal line fullback touchdowns and stuff. That's where you can get some of your weird creative things. If you get, you know, a, a first and goal from the one because of a pass interference or something, you can give it to the fullback or do some weird fullback screen like what the Chiefs have done. Uh, so I, I don't hate its odds to come true, but that's a, that's a real bold. Uh, Owen Ravina, Ravenna said running backs score five touchdowns combined that I don't hate the again, five touchdowns for a running back. Uh, five touchdowns in the game for running backs is pretty bold. That would be like pretty crazy, but I don't hate the idea of it. You know, you've got uh, plenty of the, the Vikings love to rush on the goal line. The Seahawks love to rush on the goal line. If they get enough goal line opportunities, enough drives that do this. Plus, I would definitely count CJ Ham touchdowns for you in this. Um, so I think that there's definitely a chance, you know, and, and you have. Uh, the wheel routes and stuff, the Seahawks love to send Chris Carson on deep routes. So I think there's a chance there. And then just maybe the, you know, one of these teams figures out the screen game and you could just bust one. Both the Seahawks and Vikings have some home run potential in their run game. So I, I don't hate that either. Uh, we'll move on to Ray, Wade Corporon, who says no punts, either team, kind of in the same vein as the Matt Nelson one. No punts for either team is pretty incredible. This will be a good offense game. Anything that is that good would be pretty incredible. But I, yeah, I mean, listen, the defenses in this game are going to struggle. The matchups are bad and the defenses are are not particularly talented on either side of the ball. I think both Seahawks and Vikings fans would admit that. And the last one I'm going to go with comes from Matthew Lerseth, who says Kirk throws a left-handed touchdown. I absolutely love it. Okay, so here's the thing about Vikings-Seahawks games. Every year, the Vikings go to, uh, end up going to Seattle, which by the way, the, the reason for that, some people think that it's like a, uh, some conspiracy you can actually see that coming like 10 years from now it's all a big rotation and we just happen to be in a very weird spot in the rotation um but yeah they they it happens because there's a bunch of different reasons you can play another nfc team that isn't in your division like the seahawks right you can play them because you you landed in the same uh spot as them like you know the vikings play second the seahawks play second um, and you can also, that's what's happening right now. And that goes every other, uh, but like two at a time. So you go, if you play the, like the, the Vikings will, will go on the road for both of the times for both of the times they play their NFC West teams, and then they'll play the whole NFC West. And then they'll go, uh, at home for the both times they play the NFC West teams. And it just so happens that every time they play the same place, the same as the Seahawks, it's in a time where they're going to the NFC West team. And then they're playing at home against the NFC East or the South team, whoever the other division is that they only play like one against it's just this weird quirk of scheduling and a, a very strange quirk of luck don't worry it's not a big conspiracy however i digress uh the left-handed touchdown is so perfectly beautifully encapsulates the energy of these viking seahawks games they're always these weird wild contests especially with kirk cousins involved you know if you remember uh the the one last year you had a, a an interception that uh eric kendricks would have housed had he not tripped you had a tipped interception from armin watts that fell into the hands of uh of anthony harris you had blown coverages for touchdowns on both sides of the ball, including a 53-yard Laquan Treadwell touchdown, which turned out to be the longest uh, reception. I think he had more yards in that 
touchdown than he did in any other game of his career. Um, it's a very, very strange affair every time these teams meet. And I, I can't really see a reason that in this year, in the COVID year with the lack of preseason and all that stuff, that this would be any more regular football. So a left-handed touchdown, I love the energy that that encapsulates. And if you get it right, yeah, you get a, a big old internet high five from me. But that's going to do it for this episode of Locked On Vikings. I will see you all next week on the other side of this deeply cursed affair. Hopefully we're talking about a win. We'll see uh, what kind of things we have to analyze. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. Today's episode was brought to you by NFL Game Pass. And as always, Skull.